It's good to see a good crowd this morning. We're thankful for all the visitors that are here. We hope your being here today will be beneficial to you. Tonight, I want to invite you back. I don't know, a month ago or so, they appointed some new deacons, and I'm one of those. And Jeff talked about part of my responsibility is going to be doing this program called Family Bible Hour. Tonight, I'm going to introduce that uh, during our worship hour, during the sermon. We're going to talk about uh, it's an important thing to help us all. It's not just for the young people. I promise you, you'll learn something if you're an older person. Everybody will be able uh, to learn. So come back, if you will, and we will discuss that. Don't you think just a moment with me about investment? There's probably a lot of people in here that, I know there's a lot of people in here that know more about this than I do. I'm not a person that's very involved in that. I I don't know much about the stock market, and if I did try to buy something, I'd probably lose everything I put in it the first day. So I leave that to to the professionals. But I want you to think about the investments, and and you try to make wise investments, and and you hope those investments are going to grow a profit, and, and you're going to gain from it. I want to talk about a different kind of investment today, and boy, I've learned a new trick. Fancy, isn't it? Clouds move. Y'all didn't know I could do that. I want to talk about heavenly investments. I want to talk about an investment that's going to pay off on in to eternity. You know, I appreciate Ronnie reading for us in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where Moth does corrupt and, and thieves break in and steal. He says, but instead, he says, put your treasures in heaven. Why? Because there's no corruption in heaven. There's no thieves in heaven. It will be a safe place there. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Have you ever considered how do you store up treasures in heaven? How do you make an investment that is in a heavenly place. I can remember, it's been several years ago, Brother Tom Holland preached a sermon, and within that sermon, he said, the only way I can think of to lay up treasures in heaven is by giving. Now, he said, it's be giving of yourself, giving of your time, your energy, your talents, or by giving of your means, your money. But Brother Tom said, giving is the way we make heavenly investments, and I agree. I believe that's how we store up things there in that place where it will never corrupt, but yet it will grow interest for us in our benefit. The Bible says in Revelation 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, for they shall rest from their labors, and listen to this, and their works do follow them. The things that we do follow us on into eternity. So what I invest in heaven while I'm here on earth is of utmost importance. What I want to do today is, excuse me, I want to talk about giving of our means. We are in a season of giving. When when November and, and December rolls around, people begin to think about this more. People will begin to set up at different places that you'll go shopping and there'll be people out front and and they'll be ringing bells and they'll have buckets and they'll have all of these different things. There'll be things online and and just all kinds of people trying to get people to give. And that is a good thing. It is a time that 
that we enjoy giving, but yet I want us to get to the point to where we want to be giving individuals year-round. Not just at the, the latter part of the year, not just right before the end of the year so we can get a big tax write-off. Nothing wrong with any of that, but I want us to get to the point to we, where we are giving individuals, where we are people that God would have us to be. What's your attitude when it comes to giving? You ever thought about that? Everybody's got a different attitude when it comes to giving. Some people don't want to give anything. Some people, they will give everything that you've got if they could. Everything that they have if they could. People have different attitudes on giving. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. About verse 16, he comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. He says, if you want to inherit eternal life, he says, keep the commandments. Well, he said, which ones? Well, Jesus told him, he said, you know, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And that rich young ruler, he's like, Lord, I've kept all of these from my youth. He says, what do I still lack? Well, Jesus told him something that applies to what we're talking about right now. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and notice this, and lay up treasure in heaven. Well, that's how I lay up treasure in heaven, right? But the story's not finished. What was his attitude? Well, the last verse in this story of this rich young ruler, the Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You see, his attitude about giving was, it's mine and, and I'm not going to give it away. I've worked for it. In Luke chapter 12, there's a man there that, that we call the rich fool. There were people that come to Jesus and, and two brothers, they were arguing and, and they said, Jesus, tell him to share the inheritance with me. He said, who's made me a judge over you? He says, beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the possessions that he has. And he spoke a parable to him. He says, there was a certain rich man whose ground brought forth plentifully. He was a man that, that everything he did, I mean, just turned to gold. He was very well blessed. But listen to this man's attitude. He said, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? My barns are full. I got an idea. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns to put all of my stuff in and then I will sit back and live it up, right? I'll eat, drink, and be merry and I've got enough to do me for many years. Don't you notice something about this man? He said, my, 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 over and over and over again. My barns, my crops, my life, my, my, my. What Jesus say? Thou fool, tonight thy soul will be required of thee. What's our attitude when it comes to giving? I want to tell you something. I want to share with you in Psalm chapter 50. This is God Almighty speaking. And I want you to look at what he says. God says, every beast of the forest is mine. And all the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains. And the wild beasts of the field are mine. He said, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Let me ask you something. When you look at your life 
and you think, my, 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 and all of these things that I have gotten, have you ever stopped to think it doesn't belong to you? Look at what, look at what God said. He says, it's mine. The whole world, the whole fullness of the whole world, it is mine. So truthfully, here's what we are. We're a steward. A steward is someone that is entrusted to manage something that does not belong to them. So I want you to think about your life right now. Every possession that you have ultimately belongs to God Almighty. And those things that are in your possession, you're just a steward. And you realize if we could only change our mindsets to realize that very fact, things would be so much easier when it comes to this subject. We wouldn't be like that rich fool and we wouldn't think this is mine, this is mine, I've done it. We would think this is God, God has blessed me, I'm going to use what God has blessed me to glorify Him. And it would change our whole mindset. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20 verse 35, they are reminding the people here of what Jesus said. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you say, well, some of you say, I don't know why you're like getting stuff. Well, it's okay to get stuff. But Jesus says it does you better to give than to receive. In preparing for this lesson, I know you probably can't see this, but you can look it up. Go to Apologetics Press and look up giving. Brother Kyle Butt wrote an article. And this article, it doesn't take long to it gets over my head. I don't speak in a lot of medical terms. But there was research done. Research done and MRI scans on people's brains when they gave money. And do you realize when people give to an organization that is good, the pleasure centers in their brain they have discovered, they light up. They light up. Did Jesus know that when he told the people it's more blessed to give than to receive? Yeah, he knew that. He knew that. He's the one that made it that way. Jesus is the one that formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and made man a living soul. That's Jesus. He knew that. So he knew in the way that he made us that we would, we would get pleasure from giving by doing good to other people. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly, but if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. And when he talks about giving, he says, each one of us, we've got a purpose in our heart. This translation says, decide in our heart not to give reluctantly or grudgingly or, or by necessity or in its translation under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. You see, when we realize that everything that we own comes from God Almighty, and we realize that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and my heart realizes I am just a steward of all of these things, and I want to share because that's what He wants me to do, then you realize I can give with a cheerful heart. I can give with a heart uh, that is abounding in love toward that person. We're going to continue to go deeper. We looked at Romans chapter 12. It's not been very long ago. But verse 13 tells me I am to distribute to the necessities of the saints. And, and we know that. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as you have opportunity to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith, we're to do good unto Christians. But he doesn't stop there in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. He says, As a Christian, I am to be given 
to hospitality. Given to it. The word literally means I am a person that pursues opportunities to do good to people. And again, we talked about that a few months ago when we did an overview of this chapter, but I want to bring that up again right now. As a New Testament Christian, are you a person that pursues opportunities to do good, to give, to help? Or are you one of those people that you really don't want to have a part of it? Or there's another group. Maybe you're one of those people if someone asks you to give, well, then you will. But you see, God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be in the first group. He wants us to be a people that is always looking for opportunities to share the things that He has blessed us with. I want to tell you, here at Willow Avenue, we're a, we're a blessed people. Do you realize that? We are blessed mightily. I know most of you well. You do well. You've got plenty. And, and we should be willing and able to share that with other people. It should be something that we want to do. We should be a people that is always looking about this community and this world just to try to help somebody. I promise you we can't outgive God, and we'll talk about that. When it comes to giving, especially this time of year, I'm going to encourage you to give wisely. There's a lot of people that got their hand out. In fact, a friend of mine, we were talking about this the other day, and it was just this past week. He said he was at Sam's, and he said there was an older lady, and what looked like her daughter and maybe her granddaughter. And they had a sign there that said, you know, cars broke down, we need travel expenses to get back home. He said, I went on in, they got thinking about it, and he thought, I'm going to help them when I get back out. I'm going to help them, he says. If they're really broke down, some women, I, I'm going to do something. And, and he come back out, and he said he noticed the older lady was there, but the other two wasn't. So he said, well, he didn't do anything. He got in his car, and he went to Publix. This is here in town. And when he got over to Publix, you know who he saw? Well, what he thought was the mother and the granddaughter, the other two. He thought, you know, if they were really broke down and they couldn't get back home, how'd they get from Sam's Club to Publix within 15 minutes? Got to give wisely. People are out there and they're trying to take advantage and be wise with it. If you want to give to an organization, do some research. Find out what they support, what they do. But by all means, be wise. God expects us as a steward to be wise in the things that he's given us. See, I want to shift this. I want to shift this into giving as an act of worship. You know, we talk about on a regular basis getting things right when it comes to our worship. We know in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And if we're going to worship him, we've got to worship him in, in spirit and in truth with, with the right attitude and, and by the biblical standards. And you know, we want to make sure that we do everything right within this worship service that we're a part of this morning. We want to make sure we partake of that Lord's Supper and we use the right emblems and we do it in a correct manner. We want to make sure our singing is, is a cappella and, and our singing is, is, is biblical, scriptural songs. We want to make sure our, our preaching does not teach anything that's in error. We want to make sure our prayers are, are directed to God through the name of Jesus. We want to make sure we do all of those things. But then when it comes to giving... We say we've got five acts of worship, right? When it comes to giving, you know usually what we do? Nothing. We just leave it up and do whatever you want to. 
really doesn't matter. You know, in fact, you don't hear very many sermons about giving. You know why? Because if a preacher preaches on giving, he wants a raise. Guess what? I don't want your money. I, I'm not interested in that. I've got a job. I don't preach for money. But you see, what if we don't get our giving right? You ever considered that? What if we do those other four acts and everything is pleasing to God, but when it comes to, we've already done it today, so too late. But what if we don't get that right? What if the way we give, the manner, all of those things, what if God is not pleased with that? Have you ever considered that? Do you ever just stop to sit down and think about it and study it and, and realize why you give and how you give and, and all the things that should take part in that? I hope so. But you see, it's not something that we talk about. It's something that we kind of shy away from. You know, when we read about, in our Old Testament Bible, we read a lot about tithing. We read about tithing, and for time's sake, I won't get into it, but Leviticus chapter 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, and a host of other passages. In fact, if you really dig deep, I was asked a few years ago to speak in a summer series, and, and my title was The History and the Principle of the Tithe. I thought, wow, I had to really dig deep into that. You realize the children of Israel, they gave far more than 10%. In fact, if you want to really get down and study it, they had to give about a fourth of everything they made unto God. They had two different tithes, and then they had free will offerings. They had all of these different things that God uh, put in His law that they had to do. But you realize we say, well, the, law, the tithing, that was a law of Moses thing, right? And, and, and that's when God instituted that. And uh, No, that's not when God instituted that. In fact, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, you've got Jacob. Jacob's long before the law of Moses. And in Genesis 28, verse 22, Jacob makes a vow unto God. And within that vow, he says, God, I promise I will give you a tenth of everything I possess. You say, wow, that's before the law of Moses. Well, in Genesis chapter 14, before Jacob, you've got Moses that goes out to fight against the kings. And he comes back, and, and he has gained all of these spoils from this great victory. And he runs into a man by the name of Melchizedek. And when he runs into Melchizedek, Melchizedek, according to Hebrews 7, was a greater individual than Abraham. So therefore, in Genesis 14, when Abraham runs into him, and according to Hebrews 7, the, the lesser, uh, he, he tithes the greater, and the greater blesses the lesser. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And Abraham tithed Melchizedek. He paid 10% of everything he had gained in the battle there and offered it ultimately unto God. Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God long before the law of Moses. Well, let's go way back even further than that. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel made an offering, Right? I taught Genesis 4 to the teenage class Wednesday night, and I was trying to get them to, to think beyond sometimes that, and what we just see. In Genesis chapter 4, Abel made an offering of the firstlings of his animals, his herds. And Cain made an offering of the firstlings of the crops that he had grown. And, and you say, well, so what? Well, what does that really matter? Well... In order for Cain to have sinned, apparently God had put in place some type of system. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is transgression of God's law. So in order for me to sin, I, I've got to go against what God says. Cain sin. Apparently, God had instituted something. Well, Abel, according to Hebrews 11, verse 4, he offered his offering by faith. Well, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith only comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. So apparently, Abel's offering was because he heard what God said to do and he acted upon that and offered what God wanted. What was that? Can I prove it was 10%? I can't prove it was 10%. But if I look back through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, that's what God expected the people to offer every time. Why should I expect anything different in Genesis chapter 4? Although it's not recorded. Well, think about that just for a second. Think about our giving that, that we just took part in just a few moments ago. We, a lot of times before the giving, we'll get up and we'll read 1 Corinthians 16, the first couple verses. Now concerning the collection for the saints, if I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. I know my time's already up. To be fair, I didn't get up here to 25 till. I'm good, right? Look, there's a command. There's a command. This is not an optional thing. He says, as I have given order, I have commanded these people to do this, and he says, so do you. You do the exact same thing. This is not an optional thing when it comes to our worship. When do I do it? Upon the first day of the week. Well, every week has a first day, right? So every first day of the week, we are to... Look at, he says, lay by in store. Who's to do this? Who's to do this? You see, sometimes this is where we, sometimes this is where we really don't think about it. Who's to do this? Look what he says. On the first day of the week, let every one of you. Every one of you. So if you are a New Testament Christian and you prosper, what happens? You give, Right? It's not, well, we just give out of my husband's check, but my wife's got a job, we don't really give out. That doesn't fit this verse. It doesn't fit this verse. We need to teach our young people, if you've got a job, if you're making money, you need to set aside part of that unto God. God expects every person to give. You say, yeah, but now I'm older and I'm on a fixed income and I'm, a, I'm... It's still prospering, isn't it? It might not be a lot but it's still prospering. God says, let every one of you. He says, I want you to lay by him. I want you to lay by him. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means he's, he wants us to plan it ahead. You know, you've you, you got to think about this thing. Giving is not, oh no, here comes the plate. Let me get my wallet out and, you know, or I'm over here, I'm trying to write a check and you can hear the check rip out and, you know, it's a last minute. That's not what giving's about. You see, the worship part of giving is not necessarily just in you laying that in the plate. It's the purposing of your heart. You remember in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, a man's to give as he purposes in his heart? This is something that you lay by, that you think about, you decide beforehand, you plan it out. It is a worship of the heart. And when I put that offering in the plate, I am putting in what my heart decided that needs to go into plate for me. 
And that is what God expects from us. It's not just a simple, I'm going to throw in the same thing I've thrown in for the last 50 years and get it over with. That's not what it's about. He says, I want you to lay by in store. And store is within the church treasury. So the church uh, cooperatively can work together to accomplish so much good. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread. You realize that word fellowship in Acts 2, verse 42 is translated contribution in other places in your Bible? The early church continued working together through their contribution. And that's how things get accomplished. You see, brethren, this is something we need to put more thought into. This is something that's not just done haphazardly and, and it's just going to be okay with whatever we do. No, that's not what God intended. That's never what God intended. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about looking in your refrigerators and, and look at the leftovers. Everybody likes leftovers. Depends on what it is, right? Depends on what it is. Some leftovers are good. You know, pinto beans, they get better for days. Some leftovers, you just want to throw it out in the trash. You know, you, you don't want to eat it. I want you to think about this. This idea, I was watching a TV show the other day. Actually, it was Duck Dynasty. You would never figured I liked that, right? But they were at a food bank, and they were talking about this nasty food that people had donated, and it got me to thinking. You ever been asked to donate some food to something like that? And maybe you go through your cabinets. What do you get? You look and you say, ooh, there's my favorite thing. Let's give that to them. Be honest, what do you get? You dig on back there in the back. I don't know how old that is, and I'd never eat it. Take it to them. You dig on back, maybe in the back of the freezer. Mm, I, don't, I didn't really like that. We bought it and tried it before. I'm going to give that. Why is it a lot of times we give expired food and and all of those other things when it comes to trying to help people that are hungry and needy. And you say, well, that, that's just for, for cost purposes. We can buy a lot more. Okay, if that's the purpose, that's great. But let me ask you something. Are we going to get by giving leftovers to God? Consider that just for a moment. You realize God wants our best? I alluded to just a little while ago, Abraham tithed Melchizedek. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, the Bible says Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils. The spoils was what he had taken from the battle of the kings. But what does the word spoils mean? Spoils means the top of the heap. So in other words, Abraham took all the things that he had gathered from the kings and he tithed Melchizedek the 10% of the absolute best. The absolute best. He didn't dig down in the bottom and find the things that he didn't want. That's not what he did. You know, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 12, God commanded the children of Israel. He said, I want you guys to give me the firstlings of your flock. The first one that opens up the womb of those flock. That's what I want. I want the males of the firstling of the flock. And you go on to read all of these things. When God wanted the people to remember the Passover, what kind of lamb did they kill? Well, it was a lamb without spot and without blemish. Everything had to be just right, just so-so. Does God still want the best? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, in all things, He desires to have the preeminence. God doesn't want our leftovers. But you see, Israel sometimes, Israel sometimes, that's what they would give. 
And brethren, I'm afraid sometimes that's what we give. You see, Israel, the Bible says, you offered polluted bread upon mine altar. They were supposed to make showbread every day, and it was supposed to be fresh and, and all of these things. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted to eat the good bread, and they would offer the old bread. And God said, that's polluted. And you say, how have we polluted you? What have we done? Well, God told them, right? You're offering polluted bread. And you offer the blind for sacrifice. Is it not evil? And you offer the lame and the sick. Is it not evil? He said, you offer that to your governor. And you see how that flies. You, instead of taking your cattle and giving me the first, the best, you take what's not worth very much of anything, and you think that's going to get you by. Sometimes do we do that? We're to give as we are prospered. Let me ask us, me included, me especially. Lesson hits me first. Do we take how we are prospered and take God's part out first? Or, or do we take how we're prospered and after we pay our house payment and our car payments and our boat payment and our, and our vacation fund and our you know, stocks and bonds and, and uh, you know, our, our eating out money and, and we set aside everything else and then we're done with our budget and we look and say, well, we've got this much left. Now I'll give God part of that. How do, we, how do we do that? How do you do that in your house? How do I do that in my house? You see, it doesn't fly. It will never fly to give God the leftovers. Never. You see, He wants the top of the heap. He wants the best of what we have. You know, when we think about passing the plate around and we think about God, He wants our best, and we think about God owns absolutely everything, do you realize as we look back through the Bible, the least God ever expected was 10%. You won't find it. You won't find where God expected any less. You can look cover to cover. You realize the most He ever accepted from people was 100%. Mark chapter 12, there was a widow that put in two mites and Jesus praised her and he says she's given all that she has. First Kings chapter 17, there was a poor widow there that Elijah had gone to stay with and, and she said, I, I've got just a little handful of meal and just a little bit of oil and, and I'm going to make me and my son a, some cakes of bread. We're going to eat it and we're going to die because that's all we've got. And what did Elijah ask for? All of it. All of it. So where does God expect us to be when it comes into this giving thing? And you say, well, tithing was Old Testament. Tithing's Old Testament. Yeah, that's what God expected then. Let me ask you something. Isn't everything about the covenant we live under better? Chris did a great job this morning, and he talked about how much better it is. We've got better promises. We've got forgiveness. We've got a, a church. We've got all of these wonderful blessings that God has given us. And it doesn't become better for us simply because, well, now we get to give less. You think God's going to be pleased when we give less than what He's ever expected us to give in the past? Oh, you've got to answer that for yourself, and I've got to answer it for myself. But if God has given us better, brethren, we better Give him better. God says, challenge me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. He says, you give unto me. You give unto me like you're supposed to with a cheerful heart. You purpose it in your heart. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven 
I promise you, you won't outgive God. You won't outgive Him. You can try, but it's not going to work. Who's your master? That rich young ruler, he thought more of his possessions than he did Jesus. He, he wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to know what to do to go to heaven. But ultimately, he couldn't make the right decision because he had the wrong master. That guy that we call the rich fool, he had the wrong master. He had the wrong mindset. <laughs> go back again to Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Things are going to happen to them. Lay up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. And then he goes on to talk about our eyes. He says, if your eye is single, things are going to be okay for you. But if your eye is evil, he says, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. What in the world does he mean? Look at the context of what he's talking about. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, your heart is. What are you most fond of? If your eye is single, if God and His will is what you're most fond of, if your focus is singular, everything else in life will fall into place. But if your focus is not, remember what Jesus told that rich people that were complaining over the inheritance and dividing of it? Beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the things which he possesses. But if your eye is evil, you're in trouble. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. can't do it. You either cling to the one and despise the other, love the one and hate the other. You can't serve God and mammon. This morning, who is your master? Who's your master? Do you realize we, in essence, we told God who our master was when we passed that plate just a little while ago? Some of you may not like that, but that's me included. I told God who my master was. God knows what I've got. God knows what I gave. God knows what I'm able to give. Where's my heart? Where's your heart? This morning, the lesson is yours. If you're not a New Testament Christian this morning, I beg and plead with you to consider being one this morning. You can obey the gospel this morning and leave here in a safe condition. Most of you are Christians. Maybe this morning you realize that your master is not who it needs to be. Maybe you want to make a change. Maybe you just need prayers of the church. Whatever you need, why don't you come while together we stand and sing.